Long hours, small teams, uninspiring content. Marketing for a startup is hard work, but it doesn't have to be. HubSpot for startups can help you grow your business without growing your stress. Their all-in-one platform connects your sales, marketing, and support all together so you can increase leads, fast-track deals, smooth out support, and join a platform that more than 190,000 top brands trust. Plus, they have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. HubSpot also offers discounts for startups on their top-rated customer platform, and not the kind of discounts that barely make a dent. I'm talking about meaningful savings of up to 90%. So if you're ready to crush your marketing, look no further than HubSpot for startups. To see how much you can save, visit HubSpot.com startups. If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. It's all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. That second ad, where I highlighted the effort I put into something, had a 45% higher click-through rate. And it's leveraging that exact same bias that Mr. Beast uses. That's Phil Agnew, host of the Nudge podcast, where he dives deep into the behavioral science of marketing. Phil has spent over 50 hours studying Mr. Beast's channel, breaking down the psychological hacks that Jimmy uses to hook viewers so that you don't have to. There's this sort of feeling all of us have to just say, oh, he just found out along the way what worked and started to do that, or he just stumbled upon greatness. Even if you go way back to his initial videos and and watch some of them, the videos that started to gain him notoriety were leveraging a really interesting bias. Now, I think there were three biases in total he uses most commonly. So in this episode, you'll learn the three psychological biases Mr. Beast uses most frequently, why they work, and how you can apply them to your own videos. How did Mr. Beast initially get some notoriety? He's like pretty well known for being a kid in his house with basically no viewers, nothing going on initially. So what happened? What was the inflection point that he started getting some attention? There's this sort of feeling all of us have to just say, oh, he just found out along the way what worked and started to do that, or he just stumbled upon greatness. You know, this is, that's the sort of natural thing we think towards these, you know, because Mr. Beast now is, is huge, 26 billion views, massive business that he's created alongside that as well an absolute giant creator probably the biggest you could you could think of even if you go way back to his initial videos and and watch some of them you'll actually see that the videos that started to gain him notoriety and popularity were leveraging a really interesting bias a really interesting psychological phenomenon which made us and made viewers value his his videos more now i think there are three biases in total that he uses most commonly but the first one he uses is this bias called input bias This is the idea that the more input we put into something, and that can be time or energy or or, or cost, you know, the more we pay for something, the more we'll value it. 
So if you spend $50 on a bottle of wine, you'll value that more than if you spent $20 on the same bottle of wine. If you spend 50 hours painting a portrait, you'll value your own portrait more than if you spent 50 minutes doing it, for example. There's a really interesting study on this, um, and it's, it's on the most boring subject imaginable. But basically, two researchers back in 2003, they asked people to watch a presentation on electronic ink and then another presentation on optical switches. Now, I'm not going to repeat the presentation for you here to say, because I don't want to talk about electronic ink and optical switches. Lord. <laughs> the presentation was pretty dull. <laughs> however, however, in the presentation, they changed one thing each time. So they either said the ink presentation took eight hours and 34 minutes to prepare, or they said the ink presentation took 37 minutes to prepare. What they essentially found was that when the presentation took longer to prepare, when people were told it took longer to prepare, they valued it far, far higher. So we value things more when we understand the effort that's gone into it, which is why when I started my episode on Mr. Beast, I told my listeners, I've studied Mr. Beast for 50 hours because that would make people value the, the research I had done more. So that's this input bias. This is this world of input bias. Now, how did Mr. Beast apply it? Well, one of his very first viral videos was him cutting a table. So one of these tables that you would take to a car boot, if you're here in the UK, or to the beach, if you're in the States, or to a park. He's cutting one of these sort of thick plastic tables with a, with a knife. And it takes him days. It quite clearly takes him days. You can see in the video, it is cut down to three minutes. You can see he's wearing different clothes. It takes him loads of time. He needs to pull his brother in. This is a very dull video. It's him cutting a table <laughs> with a knife. And yet it got a bit of engagement. It's now got 3.5 million views, but it got him views initially as well. It's because he's showing effort. There's effort and time that's been sunk into that. It's pretty, va it's not much value, like those optical switches presentations, but there's effort there. He then went on to read the world's longest word in the English language. Now that took him two hours to do, and that's a full length two hour video. That has 30 million views. He said Logan Paul 100,000 times. That took him 17 hours and it's got 21 million views. So these challenges, which clearly take him a lot of time, they end up being valued a little bit more highly. And I'll share one more example to showcase how this works because it's a test I've run. So I, I unashamedly want people to listen to my show. And so I often create Reddit ads to try and get people to listen. And I created two Reddit ads with two different lines of copy. The first line said, this was my end of year show I was promoting, said, learn six memorable less marketing lessons with Nudge, the podcast that simplifies the science behind great marketing. And then I had an input bias or a Mr. Beast version, which said, I've spent 480 minutes listening to marketing experts over the past year. Here are the six best lessons I've heard. And that second ad, where I highlighted the effort I'd put into something, had a 45% 45 higher click-through rate and drove you know, thousands more listeners to that episode that I was promoting. And it's leveraging that exact same bias that Mr. Beast uses. He showcases the effort he puts into something and people value his videos more. So good. I see this on Twitter all the time too, where it's like, mm. I studied the top 2,500 accounts on Twitter and here's what they all have in common. And the cynical part of me, a lot of times I see that, I'm like, no, you didn't. Or there's some some cheap way where you feel like you can ethically claim that you did, but really it's like taking some other existing aggregated data. But no less, those things do well. That's why they propagate. That's why we see them. I wonder why that is. I wonder if that's like we almost feel FOMO if we pass up this opportunity to get 50 hours of research in the form of a 30-minute podcast or... Mm. 
I guess it is just it is just value. We 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 assume that all that time in means that you've really crystallized, distilled the most important bits. Yeah, unfortunately, the actual end product doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't matter if somebody's actually spent 50 hours on that um, tweet you're talking about. There's another example with Kayak, so the the um, online search engine for flights. When they show a loading wheel, just a plain loading wheel, and shit, people see the results, people rank how they see the results, and they give them a rank and then average rank. But sometimes they don't show a loading wheel, and they'll actually show the system searching through every single airline, Delta, United, Qantas, and, and show it actually looking for every airline. You're nodding your head because you've probably seen this. because that, yeah. that test won, and people were far more likely to value the results more highly when it saw the effort it was putting in. And there's one important point there, which is if you see the effort that's going into it, rather than just being told it takes 50 hours, you do value it more. And I think that's where Mr. Beast you know, really hit on something. He didn't just say I've cut a table in half. He showed people doing it. He didn't just say I've I've read every number up until a hundred thousand. He actually recorded himself doing it. And I think that builds a level of trust which made people value his videos more. So that's how Mr. Beast got his initial notoriety. A lot of people know Mr. Beast now as giving away huge sums of money. And that was new and took off. You know, it's been copied a lot now, but why why did that do so well? This is the the premise of, basically, in, in behavioral science, it's known as costly signaling. And it essentially means the more money, the more, it can be effort as well, but mainly the more money you spend to communicate something, the more someone will pay attention to that communication. So it's why a TV ad is typically more persuasive than a Twitter ad, even if they both show a 30-second video. It's why a proposal to your uh, partner will be more likely to be to get a yes answer if you say a Michelin star restaurant than if you ask your partner at a Burger King. Please don't propose to your partner at a Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Well, unless you want to test this out and then let me and Jay know how it goes. I would, I would love for the to content. run that test. Yes. <laughs> please, please just do that for the content. <laughs> so I've, I've tested this out myself um, for Nudge. I ran an, a test where I basically showed a image of a Nudge ad. And the image either showed the Nudge ad, which was just a, a simple sort of four by 16 card, talked about why you should listen to Nudge. And then I showed another group of people, that same image, but superimposed on a billboard. And when I asked these people on Google surveys, would you be listening, uh, willing to listen to this podcast? People were two times more likely to listen if it had been pitched on the billboard. Again, it's the same content, but the fact that it looks like I've spent more money to promote it made people two times more likely to, to, to basically listen. Mr. Beast is using a lot of this bias in, in his own way. So he's constantly basically spending or showcasing spending an awful lot on his videos so he gives away lamborghinis he spent millions recreating charlie and the chocolate factory and gave the the winner i think hundreds of thousands and he spent four million famously talk, talked a lot about how he spent four million to recreate the squid games that was, that was a huge part of his more recent success and this seems irrational mr beast last year made 54 million dollars he spent $48 million on creating his videos. And he's very public about how he spends that. That seems irrational. If I had made that much money, I would definitely feel this temptation to bank a little bit more than the $6 million that he banked. You know, you're making a lot of money. You don't need to invest this much. You don't need to give away half a million to the winner of your Squid Games. You could give away 50K and it would still be good. But he understands that the more he gives away, the more money he spends to create his videos, the more money that people can see he's investing the more they will value them and the more they're likely to share them and the more they'll, 
they'll be, they're more, they're more likely they are to hit the trending tab on YouTube. And I think by understanding that that principle of costly signaling, Mr. Beast is now in this cycle where he's very difficult to catch up with because he is spending more than anyone else. He is able to invest more than anyone else. And he's sort of ridden this wave for so long now that he really is the standout creator on YouTube getting a huge volume of views, almost unmatched. And it's, it's, it's mainly down to this principle of costly signaling. After a quick break, Phil and I dig deeper into costly signaling and how you can leverage it in your own creative work. So stick around. We'll be right back. D2C Pod, hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. D2C Pod is a podcast about all things direct to consumer. Ramon and Blaine cover everything for starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. They talk with founders, marketers, and creators and cover topics like brand building, social media, influencer marketing, website conversion, paid media, consumer trends, email marketing, and more. So if you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you work with clients and you want to grow your top line revenue without growing a big payroll at the same time, then consider attending the Solopreneur Summit a VIP event hosted by my friend, Ken Yarmish. Ken has personally closed over $50 million in his career as a solopreneur, all in professional services. I've learned a lot from Ken, and he's worked with some of the biggest names today. People like Matt Barker, Nasheen Chen, Laura Acosta, and Jake Ward trust Ken to get clearer offers and scale their business with systems. Now, Ken is running a two-day in-person summit on May 9th and 10th to help you build systems across marketing, sales, and client delivery. So now you too can grow without hiring. This will be a workshop setting. It's the anti-loud obnoxious conference with no more than 50 people who will go deep with Ken and other experts that he's brought in to solve actual problems in your business. Ken and his invited experts will show you their proven systems across personal branding, driving inbound leads, social selling, crafting scalable offers, using AI to automate client delivery, and more. Stop guessing and start learning from those who are three to five steps ahead of you. Get actionable tactics and proven systems to accelerate your pipeline, close more deals, and get out of client delivery hell. Head to trs.club summit to learn more and register for the Solopreneur Summit today. At that website, you'll see some of the other experts that are coming in that will allow you to go behind the scenes and look at their actual businesses Again, that URL is trs.club slash summit. One last time, that's trs.club slash summit. And now back to my conversation with the host of Nudge, Phil Agnew. How can we use costly signaling in our day-to-day? I'm trying to think of ways that I can do this. You gave the example of the billboard in your case. I think in some ways, the experiments I run it's a little bit of both, you know, because like you said, costly signaling could be an effort as well. But if we if we if we save the effort for like the input bias idea, is there a way to show costly signaling without being like independently wealthy? You know, <laughs> is that something that we can leverage without having just a ton of money to command? So I would say you do it really well, Jay. For those watching video, if, if, if you are watching on video, you'll see two very different video setups. One rubbish, one fantastic. Mine's <laughs> the rubbish one. Jay's is fantastic. And there's value in doing that. By creating such a nice setup, you are showcasing that you've invested a lot to create this show, that you, you, you're clearly putting a lot of your time and effort and money into it. And that makes people value it more. 
when people see a, a slow-mo ad, this is a study from last year by a researcher called Sinjin, when people see a slow-mo ad, they are 11% more likely to, to want to buy the product in the ad. And I think that is down for, to the fact that they know filming in slow-mo is just a lot more expensive. Hmm. And if you watch a slow-mo ad, you realise, oh, okay, this must be a good product because the people behind it have spent a lot of money to, to film it. And I think you're doing the same with your, with your film setup. But you could also say that you're doing the same with your website. Really clean, crisply designed website beautiful imagery, the same with your social posts as well. There's a really interesting study from um, Ogilvy who talk about it in that, I think it's their annual report from two years ago. They worked with a charity and they, they love nudges at Ogilvy. They tried eight different nudges to try and get people to give more to the charity. The thing that encouraged people to give the most was not social proof, was not the input bias, was not any of these other principles I'm going to talk to you today. It was just printing the letter on a nicer piece of card, a nicer letter, so a nicer mm. bit of paper. And just by doing that, they're showcasing, oh, you know, that we're a serious charity investing in us and the money will go far. And I think that's ways that we can apply this ourselves as creators, just just showcasing the effort you're putting into your work, showcasing the, the money that you've spent on on creating your channel or your content will, will make people value it more. I love that. I think that's an opportunity for every creator to to show a little bit more of the behind the scenes of what it took to make the thing, you know, both in effort and in cost. Those are very low coercive means to compel people to care. You know, you're not like, hey, care about this because I'm doing this, but by just showing, hey, this is something I'm really interested in, something I'm putting a lot of effort into, check out how I did this or check out Mm -hmm. what else we're doing. I mean, my wife's doing it right now for a birthday party she's planning. We're doing like a 90s themed birthday party and she's buying Tamagotchis. She's buying all this 90s candy. I went and got like a vintage sweater. We're talking about it with our friends and people are getting more and more excited as we're talking about all the things, all the stops we're pulling out to make this 90s birthday party uh, really interesting. And I think that's something that most creators don't do. They just show up once a week and like, here's this finished thing I made. And it doesn't get the, the viewer, the consumer as invested in it. They don't know how much to weigh, how seriously to take it. And you can see how these two biases link as well, of course. You can see, you know, input biases about effort, costly signalings about sort of money and, and, and investment. If you are spending a lot of time creating something, it's just really valuable to highlight that. You know, here's another example, actually. I think that costly signalling could apply to opportunity cost in some ways, too. Like my, my membership, The Lab, a lot of people talk about it for the reason that I have a cap on it. I have a wait list of... 50 plus people who want to join the lab, but I capped it at 200 people. So people see that and they say, you're, you're crazy. Like that's a whole lot of revenue you're saying no to. That's another way to do costly signaling, right? I think that's one of the most perfect applications of this bias. I think it's, it's and it's for lots of different reasons as well, because you've got costly signaling, you've got a bit of scarcity in there too, which makes people value it more. But it reminds me of Patagonia. And Patagonia famously refused to sell their sweaters to employees of firms that do damage to the environment. So this included oil companies, including some finance companies, some mining companies. And this seems irrational, just like you, Jay, you know, limiting the amount of people who can buy your product. Not only will that just cut your revenue, but it'll also make people surely less likely to want to buy the product, right? Like, why would I, why would I want to buy Patagonia's tops if, if they might not even sell it to me? Or would I even bother trying? Why would I want to join Jay's course if I'm not even sure if there's any entrances left? But when you understand costly signaling, when you realise that actually the cost incurred will make people value it more, I'm more likely to want a Patagonia sweater if I know other companies can't 
do bulk purchases and buy a load for there because it's because it's something that's harder to get. And clearly it must be high quality because Patagonia are willing to forego revenue just to stand up for their own values. For them, that's values around, you know, companies that do cruelty to the world. For you, it's values around making a really good, really, really good community. And I can trust that your community is is high quality because you set that cap, because you're not trying to milk it for as much revenue as it can get. So help me marry this then with something else Mr. Beast famously does, which is record in lower quality video than he could afford, right? Like he could do... 4k he could do 8k but he will come out and say that he doesn't want to record in that high of quality video so how does that work in his favor because it could be costly signaling if he said i'm going to get red cameras i'm going to do the best possible equipment out there exactly and you and you know the attuned listeners out there might have might have been thinking this might have been thinking hold on how can he be benefiting from costly signaling giving away hundreds of thousands whilst also clearly not investing in the highest quality camera. And he said this before, he says, you know, obviously I've spent more on camera equipment than most YouTubers, and yet I don't record in anything above 1080p, which is pretty much the bare minimum. So why doesn't he do this? This is, for me, the final bias that Mr. Beast benefits from, which is a bias essentially known as the contrast effect or juxtaposition. You don't expect a 24-year-old American to have millions of dollars to give away every week. You don't expect someone dressed in a t-shirt and joggers to own dozens of Lamborghinis. And because you don't expect that, because Mr. Beast breaks your expectations, he is therefore more watchable. He's more likable. There's one adjacent study done by David Eagleman back in 2007, which sort of sort of highlights this bias. So he showed a bunch of participants uh, images, very, very quick images, about 300 milliseconds, flashed them up on screen. And eight of the images were of an alarm clock. So you see an alarm clock flashed up on screen, but interjected, there was one image of a brown shoe. Now, both of those items are pretty, they're not, they're not very memorable. Okay. <laughs> but, the, you know, but the brown shoe was judged to have been shown by the participants when they asked how long did these images appear? Which one did you think appeared for longer? They all appeared actually at the same for the same amount of time. But when asked, the brown shoe was judged to have been shown for 12% longer. And this basically means that unique, contrasting things stick in our mind. And Mr. Beast is sort of benefiting from the same bias. He's, he's breaking our conventions and he's sticking in our mind because of it. When I did my episode on on Mr. Beast, I thought, well, I really want to test this myself. I want to see if I can create some contrast that will make people more likely to want to keep watching a video in Mr. Beast's case, or in my case, it was to get people to keep reading. So I, I did another Google survey ad, or uh, sorry, another Google survey where I showed a hundred group of Americans a blurb for a story. And I need to apologize, Jay, because the story is is really awful. <laughs> it was before <laughs> ChatGPT. I couldn't get it to write it for me. <laughs> but the blurb is the, is the best I could come up with. The first um, blurb said, man breaks into a CIA database and uncovers a secret. This secret reveals how every American election since the turn of the century has been rigged. The second group of 100 Americans showed the same, was showing the same story, except there was a little bit of juxtaposition, a little bit of contrast. So rather than saying a man breaks into a CIA database, it said a 12-year-old boy breaks into a CIA database. And contrast works. People were 24% more likely to want to keep reading the story with a bit of juxtaposition with the 12-year-old boy versus the control. That's what Mr. Beast benefits from here. By being a you know, just an average American with a 
uh, no offense, Mr. Beast, average hair, haircut, average fashion sense, just one of the boys, as he likes to call himself. We're, we're more inclined to actually watch his videos where he's doing all these incredible things because there's that layer of contrast, because there's that intriguingness, that juxtaposition that gets us wondering, oh, it's really impressive how he's able to do this. Now, this, this is probably not, a, not relevant for really loyal fans. I think they just end up liking him for that. This is relevant for people who maybe just discover Mr. Beast. And that's really the important ones because they're the ones, these are the people he's attracting. They discover him, they think, how is he doing this? They watch his videos and then they become fans. Yeah, let's double click on that because I this is something that I see all the time. And you know, I was I was first aware of this with Seth Godin's book Purple Cow. You know, the the premise of Purple Cow is how do you stand out and gain attention because of it. So two things I want to say here. One, it's it's almost I would guess more important to stand out visually quickly than to stand out after somebody starts tuning in. You know, like the quicker you can stand out, the more you're going to get new attention versus loyalty. I had Kat, Kat Norton, known as Miss Excel on TikTok, come on the show. Oh, yeah. And like one of her first TikToks ever went mega viral because it's somebody dancing with like a pivot table above their head from Excel. <laughs> like that's just very odd. There's contrast, there's juxtaposition and it plays through like everything. You know, the more you, the more you get attuned to good design, the more you understand the importance of contrast in what is aesthetically pleasing, you know? And so it's just, I feel like it's ingrained into us that we seek out and appreciate and like feel almost soothed and curious by contrast and juxtaposition. So I love, I love this one. I'd give one bit of advice just for the listeners, because it's tempting to hear this, to hear what we're both saying here and think, oh, I just need to be different. I just need to create vastly different videos if I want to be a YouTuber or vastly different podcast. And that's actually the wrong takeaway. It can, it's good to have a bit of distinction and differentiation because that'll help you stand out, capture attention, but you don't want to be completely different. Miss XL isn't completely different. She's using familiar, you know, memes, people dancing and combining them with something new XL. And that combination of newness and sameness is actually what really, what we really like. We like to see someone who looks like us in Mr. Beast, that's the sameness, doing something brand new, giving away Lamborghinis. There's a brilliant book called Blind Sight. The authors talk about this in this book and they talk about this wonderful example of the Spotify For You playlist. So all of yes. us know this playlist. Yes. I love this story. Sorry. Do you know this story, you Jay? It. You tell it. You tell it. <laughs> oh, I'm going to steal it off you. Sorry, listeners, if you've heard this before. When they launched the For You playlist, it only contained brand new music and they thought it would be a huge success because this is what the... Spotify users had been crying out for. They want to access new music. They want something new. So they created the For You playlist and it contained all new music based on your listening habits, but all new. And it was a bit of a flop. People didn't use it anywhere near as much as as they expected. And then one day, the engineers made a mistake. Rather than just showing unique, brand new music to the listeners, they actually mixed the playlist, the For You New Music playlist, with all of your most popular, most listened to songs. So now the playlist was this combination of brand new music and the music that you love the most. So it's a combination of newness and sameness. And that combination of newness and sameness was what people loved. This is the playlist that people actually saved. This is the playlist people actually listened to. This is the playlist that 
if you're like me, you you regularly tune into because you know you're going to like the music on there. Not because it's completely unique and completely different, but because it's that mix of newness and sameness. And Mr. Beast has benefited from this by being a familiar average American looking like just one of the boys, but doing things that are completely unique. And Spotify benefited from this in their Discover weekly playlist. I've heard this defined as Maya, this acronym, M-A-Y-A, most advanced yet acceptable. This idea of we need some familiarity with the thing to feel comfortable, but it's the, it's the novelty within the familiarity that makes us say, oh, this is really different and unique. Like it's not actually really different and unique. It's just not completely familiar. It breaks something from it. Yeah. When we come back, Phil and I talk about another psychological trigger that Mr. Beast uses in a lot of his videos. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You may or may not know that I have a bit of a domain buying obsession. Whether it's a new project idea or domains related to my existing projects, I'm buying them all. I have creatorscience.tv, creatorscience.fm. So let me tell you about my newest purchase. It's jklaus.bio. Connection with your audience is everything. We make all this content and then we want to direct our audience somewhere. Well, a great new option is with a .bio domain. Instead of some long link tree or third-party URL that people can't understand and it's hard to say out loud, using your .bio domain for your link in bio lets you manage all your links in one spot with a custom domain that tells people exactly who you are. It's short, it's memorable, it's professional. Your .bio domain name is your way to share yourself with the world. And right now, you can get your own .bio domain name for less than $3 at Porkbun. Yes, that's a real website and a real registrar. Just visit porkbun.com slash creator. That's P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com slash creator. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash j. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash j and let them know that I sent you. Let me tell you about one of my favorite podcasts that I've been listening to for years. It's called The $100 MBA Show. And wherever you are on your business journey, The $100 MBA Show has lessons that can help you take the next step forward. The $100 MBA Show is a Best of Apple Podcasts winner, literally one of the top Apple podcasts of all time. And it's hosted by my friend and former guest, Omar Zenholm. 
Omar is a business school dropout turned successful entrepreneur, and he shares real-world lessons on starting, growing, and scaling your business. You may even know his software product, Webinar Ninja. What I love about the $100 MBA show is that these are well-produced, bite-sized episodes on everything from creating a product, connecting with your market, sales, building a team, and more. This show is legit. It does over 2 million downloads every month. Whether you're a small-time solopreneur or scaling your startup to investor level, there's valuable real-world advice for you in the $100 MBA's archive of thousands of episodes with new episodes three days a week. If that sounds interesting to you, and it should, just search for $100 MBA show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, please enjoy the rest of my conversation with Phil Agnew. Okay, well, have we, have we missed any major Mr. Beast psychological tactics? I think those are the three that are most unique to Mr. Beast. Can you recap them? A combination of input bias, so just showcasing pure effort he's putting into the videos, cutting a table in half. That's how he went viral. With costly signaling, so clearly spending a huge amount of money to create these videos, $48 million of, of, of $48 million that he, that he spent last year. He only made $52 million, something like that. And then the contrast effect. So despite spending all this money, still looking like one of the guys, still just looking like an average American that you, are, you or I could be friends with, you know, just that feeling of, of familiarity, this, that, that sameness yet newness. And I think those three are most unique to Mr. Beast. Lots of other people do it as well, but they're most unique to him. He does a number of other things as well, but I think these are common across most creators. So for example, he, he, he uses loss aversion a lot. Now, loss aversion is this idea that we feel losses are more painful than equivalent gains. So you will feel worse than if you lose £100 than you would feel good if you gained £100. Mr. Beast plays on this by essentially continuously telling people to subscribe. And if you don't subscribe, you might miss out on the chance of mm. winning ten grand or being part of the video or winning a Lamborghini. And he regularly shows people who have subscribed getting that chance and then occasionally even shows people asks them, oh, load up your phone and let me see if you subscribe to the channel. And if they don't, they won't get the chance of winning that money. And so he plays on that. But a lot of people do that. And in videos where it's a challenge, where it's like, hey, the last person to leave the circle or take their hand off the car, he'll go up and say, here's $10,000 right now that you can have if you drop out of the thing. And the people run this math of, this is now a bird in the hand. And I got this car in the bush over here. Like, which one do I want to value more? They feel that loss aversion there of like, well, this is just offered to me. I could have this. This now feels like something that is mine. Yeah, that plays in, in, in multiple ways. It makes good content. And then there's one other thing he does, but everybody does it. You, you do it, Jay, as well, which is we inspire curiosity. So there's this principle known as the curiosity gap, which is if you give just enough information to get people interested, but then don't reveal the full story, people are more likely to keep watching, listening, reading than if you if you tell the whole story. The best example of this comes from Shakespeare. A lot of the stories he he was writing were stories that had been around for generations. They'd been around long before him. Hamlet had been a story in the ether before Shakespeare rewrote it. The change Shakespeare made was to remove a lot of the character descriptions, which are usually spoken about, you know, in length at the start of the play. So you deeply understand the characters. He removed those descriptions and, and 
didn't tell people the full story. He, he gave them just enough information to get them hooked, but not enough for them to really know if Hamlet was insane or just playing a game. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. Mr. Beast is using the exact same bias. As one of his videos, I think the one that which uses this more than any of is where he's tied up or he's tied up an FBI agent. And within the first five seconds of the video, he explains that the FBI agent has to untie himself, has to chase him across the country and beat him to a stadium where they're, where they're, where they're going to. And he, and he builds this up really, really quickly within five seconds and then starts. And all of that is to basically inspire curiosity. The more in, uh, curiosity you can inspire, the more likely people are to keep listening, keep watching, keep reading. Quick plug for episode 125 of the show with Jake Thomas who taught us how to write great YouTube titles using the curiosity gap. And I find that the more I try to get good at the art of writing YouTube titles, the more I realize this isn't just about YouTube. This is a packaging question that applies to email subject lines or applies to, uh, podcast titles. It applies to the first line of the post you're writing on LinkedIn. You know, when you do this curiosity gap, it can be so impactful. One question I have for you, Phil, is if I'm listening to this and I haven't studied psychology or social sciences at all, and I'm hearing this and I'm interested, but now it feels like, man, I've got to study this whole thing because I'm starting at zero. Do you think intuitively people have some sense of some of these nudges as you call them and, and do them without thinking about it? This is the wonderful thing about learning about nudges is that you'll, you'll read a lot of these studies and you'll, you'll be like, oh yeah, I understand that. I recognize that. I felt that way when, when I was in this scenario. Or yeah, I realized that my partner made that decision when I spoke to them in that way. And I, and I talked about the hours I'd spent preparing this meal and they did value the meal more. And basically you'll find yourself nodding away and you'll think, yeah, I, oh, I understand this. The benefit you'll get from studying behavioral science and nudges isn't necessarily learning something you completely didn't know before. There are examples of that, but it, but it won't always happen. The real benefit you'll get is, is this understanding of how humans make decisions and ver- vernacular and vocabulary to talk about how humans make decisions. And you'll get a framework upon which you can test different nudges. So you can say, well, today, let me try out the labor illusion or the input bias. And okay, maybe next I'll try out the contrast effect. And then I can see which works better in my emails announcing my new products. Or perhaps I'll try costly signaling. I'll try and do uh, I'll try and do an ad. Or if I'm posting an image, maybe I should superimpose that on a billboard. What learning these biases allows you to do is to not just intuitively know them, but to know them so well that you can think of lateral ways to apply them. Mr. Beast, let's be honest, as a, as a, as a 20 year old, was very unique in deciding to give away his first brand deal. He got given 10 grand by a brand and he decided I'm going to go, go give that to a homeless person. It's very unique in doing that. It's brilliant that he did and it, and it boosted his virality and, and made him more popular. But now, if you understand how costly signaling works, if you work at a company and suggest that you give away a, a bunch of money to, 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 a, to a charity and, and then make some content around it, rather than that just seeing like a rogue decision, rather than that seeming a bit random and, and unthought through, you can talk about costly signaling and say, no, this actually might make people value us more. And you're probably more likely to actually influence your boss and get them to try something like that out. 